everyone. This is Brian here. Welcome to Shaped by the Sea, a podcast where we dive into the perspectives of people whose lives are deeply connected to the ocean. Today, I'm excited to introduce my longtime friend and expert fisherman, Rocco Costa. Rocco, thanks for being on my show. What's up, Brian? How are you doing? I'm doing well. You've been, uh, you've been living good. Uh, Rocco is, just for everyone else's reference, Rocco has been fishing the waters around New York probably ever since he could walk. Um, Rocco, correct me if I'm wrong, but I assume your first words were probably like something like fish on or, uh, or maybe if you guys weren't having so much luck, it might have been another F word. Yeah, I think so. I think the first recorded fish I was involved in was 22 months, I'm told. I can't remember that, you know, that long ago, but uh, I'm told 22 months is when I started. Was it out fishing. there with your pops? Yeah, with pops and uh, and my uncle out there on the North Shore of Long Island. Yeah, Rocco's family's just, I mean, what goes back generations, right? Yeah, it goes back to the furthest I could trace it back is my grandfather who started fishing out of Coney Island but he fished with his uncle, so it definitely goes back further than that, down in Sheepshead yeah. Bay, which were, used to be one of the, the premier fishing areas back in the good old days. Nice, yeah, so you mostly fish around Long Island and New York, um, and I will say to everyone listening that every time I go fishing with Rocco, he puts us on the fish. It's, it's like it's raining fish whenever I'm there with Rocco. Meanwhile, I'll go by myself and I'll come up empty like three days in a row, so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah, all you, luck. There's there's a little bit of skill involved. It's not uh, not all just luck of the draw. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's I, I go by that saying. You know, that's I'll come back and I'll say, hey, that's why they call it fishing, not catching, right? That's that's a good thing <laughs> to go by. Yeah, but uh, but to that tune, um, the fact that you always have, I mean, you have better success than most other people do when you go recreationally fishing. Um, that means you're ecologically in tune with the area right so um without giving away any of your secrets you know your secret spots or nothing like that um when you go bottom fishing because that's mostly what you do right you're yeah you're big, bottom, big fishing guy. bottom fisherman that's that's uh that's what i like to do for sure the most i'm not as interested in all the other fishing but you know i'm willing to do any type of fishing really but uh yeah you know when it comes to fishing it's all about learning so that's you know to to be good at good at fishing you just got to be a good learner pretty much nice and so that's just basically what figuring out what spots you know historically have been good with yeah. you and your pops and yeah, your family there, and there's history there is you know any kind of other you know uh, variables such as water temperature and you know just history is a really you know telling sign but it also changes as i'm sure we'll get into later in the in the podcast oh yeah later in the, i got a lot of questions for you about change honestly yeah. um but yeah some some other background about rocco you also worked as a deckhand on party fishing boats correct or do you still do that yeah i still do that i usually work on the super hulk out of uh point lookout i do night trips there and you know um i also worked on the captain out which is right next to it in point lookout in the past it's a good way to stay nice. in touch nice way to make money while you're out on the water which is always a positive thing some yeah, money. and you get some sea time there too. Yeah, some sea time for a captain's license. But yeah. uh it's it's also just such a solid plus when you get to watch the sun go down on the ocean while you're making a couple dollars. Oh yeah, that's that's the icing on the cake. That's the happy times oh, yeah. right there. Oh, that is for um, sure happy times. Yeah, so so one other thing I'll mention about you, Rocco, just uh on your resume of fishing, um, is that you do run a Facebook page called cod on the rod i love uh -huh. the name 
I, you know, I've always been a big fan of the name. Um, yeah. What, what made you uh, want to create something like that? And, so I, and you, you have a nice community there of people, right? That follow yeah, it. Yeah. And people still joining every day, which is interesting. I, I started it just to keep kind of tabs on COD. I, I am a little newer to COD. So this goes back to the learning aspect. I kind of just got started with COD in the sense of like catching larger fish and knowing a little bit more about him when I started working on the Super Hulk because he does some certain trips that, you know, put me on a couple of the larger COD and I, uh, I got hooked big time after I caught my first real big one. So back when I got hooked is when I decided to, you know, get into making that Facebook page, which was kind of just to start, you know, trying to get a bearing on what other people do it. You know, what are they doing yeah. if they're catching? And now it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a lesser fished fish in Long Island, right? Yeah, that, not, not as many people go for it. That is for sure. Down on Long Island, it's very, uh, it's kind of they're harder to, to target, harder to catch. You're a little further offshore. Not as much as known about them down here. But back up by you, where you are in New Hampshire, you know, they're a lot more plentiful, even though they're going through a, a moratorium up there on the fishing. But they're just a more, you know, known about fish up there down here. Yeah, exactly. Is, like, you know, most people on Long Island don't really know that there's cod off the shore, which they're really kind of not off the shore. They're way off the shore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah deep, deeper waters, colder waters. Yep. Um, but it sounds like for you, it's more of like a thrill of the chase, you know, try something new. Um, you know, you, it seems like you've mastered more of the black fishing, sea bass fishing, striped bass fishing. So this is that like is the, exactly what it is. That's, that's when like I got graduation. Yeah, it, it was a graduation to, to codfish, which, uh, you know, I'm looking to try to get some, some larger fish. Cause I, I have learned a lot about the fish that have always been within my reach. And now I'm kind of reaching out to something new, which is, the best part about fishing there's always something else to learn yeah the ocean's always changing it's never static never um yeah so so that actually uh i want i want to pick your brain a little bit about your knowledge your i mean you've been fishing forever you know all the recreational rules you know a lot of the regulations um i want to ask you this is definitely just a hot topic between scientists and fishermen what do you think about the science uh that governs um, fishing regulations right now in New York, uh, the recreational fishing regulations. So I know, I know that, you know, striped bass are a hot topic right now. Um, sea bass are moving because of climate change. So I was just curious your thoughts about the soundness of the science that goes behind the regulations that we see. Yeah. You know, we've talked about this a couple of times and I just think that communication is key, obviously in any kind of relationship, it's always key. But I feel like communication between science and fishermen, it's it's decent, but it definitely, definitely can improve. I think, you know, getting the right people in the right room together with maybe agendas aside would be a great way to, you know, to make everybody's life a little bit better, a little bit easier and, you know, make maybe fishing yeah. a little more, you know. Yeah, streamline it. I mean, uh, working together, you can you have a much greater shot at getting the best data, um, pushing regulations that are going to benefit the future of the fishery forward. Right. Oh yeah. Um, and, and so my question would be, how, how do you get involved with that? I mean, you know, every day down in New York, yeah, per- do you attend like the meetings? I've been to a couple of meetings. Most recently it was a sea bass one, uh, at Stony Brook college, I think two years ago now though. So it wasn't that recent. I'm, I'm a little behind, but you know, I got a very, 
you know, good feel for how it was going on, what was going on when I was at that meeting. I didn't speak at all. I, I just was listening and trying to, to learn. And CBS, as you know, but maybe the listeners don't, there's a big fight between scientists, commercial fishermen, recreational fishermen, and then the for hire industry. Because fishermen are seeing that there's like a lot more than, than scientists believe. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why, you know, fishermen and scientists are kind of fighting on this. Uh, yeah. One of, uh, one of the reasons why is there's, uh, I don't know, you know about the MRIP? You know, the... Um, they, yeah, I've heard of it, but if you, if you could explain it, that would definitely help our listeners too. I honestly do not know what it stands for, but they, they have all the data for catches and they do a lot of, um, of the not assumptions, you know, the, the catch data, they, they gather it and they do a lot oh, of, yeah, the stock, the stock assessments. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that's really, let's say separating what fishermen are seeing and doing and what the scientists are calculating is that they are, um, really miss, I can't think of the word They're They're misguiding their, their data because they are saying things that are not happening out in the fishing world, which, you know, that, that kind of drives a wedge between the fishermen and the scientists. Uh, yeah. If, you know, if our listeners want to go out and look at somebody who knows exactly what they're talking about, and this would be captain Monty Hawkins, he's down in Maryland and he, he is the guy that I, you know, just by reading his reports and his stand, you know, standpoints on the thing, on yep. the fishery is is how I've you know come to the knowledge about it. So what I'm trying to get to is they are saying for sea bass that recreational fishermen are actually out fishing the for hire industry. Yeah, and and this is bouncing around on Facebook. You could see it in certain groups, and it's uh it's definitely false because the for hire has you know they're just they're just better at what they do, and they're they're out there every single day catching fish. So when people and for, see, for hire by for hire you mean party boats, right? Like uh, mostly party boats and recreation, not recreational and charter boats. The thing is, yep, we know that their their data is a hundred percent accurate or as close as possible because they'd have to do VTR, which yep. is they, they have to track the fishing that they do every day. Yep, the vessel vessel tracking report, right? Yes, and that that right there shows you know those numbers show exactly what they're catching. And, and so the numbers that the MRIP are getting is showing that recreational fishermen are really out fishing them, which also hurts with the quotas that go into the sea bass because they take those numbers that the recreational fishermen are, they're not putting in because recreational fishermen don't have any way to put in their numbers, or I don't think they would even if they had a chance. And, yeah, uh, yeah, you're, they're not forced to, so there's no um, incentive yeah. to report, right? So it's kind of giving them an opportunity just to put in kind of fake numbers, and this this is one issue that I personally have seen, and I believe is a, a large issue because the sea bass population is for sure a lot in a lot better shape than people, you know, that, that yeah. scientists are saying it is, which is just one of the issues, you know, out there, but. So to to put that in technical terms, pretty much what what it sounds like you're getting at is that scientists uh, could get a better grip on the effort being put out by recreational fishermen to catch sea bass. Yeah, that would right? be good. That, like, so, if, so the, 
Yeah. yeah, the effort and catch and actual catch data from recreational fishers. It's it's, it's you're saying it's more of a it's more of a guess than a, a definite yeah. um, number. Exactly. That's uh, and it's a bad guess on that part. You know the that data that they're getting, and that's why there's a little divide on that one issue. But you know there's there's also good scientists out there that are doing good work. I can't just bash yeah. them all. And and the interesting the interesting part with sea bass though is what you're what we're seeing with the commercial industry is that sea bass are moving poleward um, in the in the Atlantic Ocean, so they're they're moving more north, and uh, that I mean it's just changing the way that we that commercial fisheries are managing this fish, right? Yeah. Um, and the way that they're allocating quotas, but so it sea bass is such an interesting topic because it's it's one of those that's just changing so quickly nowadays. Yeah, I have but, a, um, a great great example of how i've seen them change personally the sea bass population and that would be on me, Rocco. yeah so that would be you know when i grew up fishing out of cold spring harbor which is the western long island sound we really didn't see any sea bass i mean if we had one in a month we'd be kind of excited because you know they're great eating fish and we didn't really see them we did have them on the south shore at that time when i was fishing with my uncle on the south shore but as time has gone on and i've grown older and obviously maybe global warming or other issues that are pushing sea bass up north uh we've seen the fishing just actually get explode on the long island sound especially the western long island sound which didn't really have that fishery let's say 10 years ago but uh that i could think of is the example is the first time i ever remember limiting out on sea bass on the long island sound is a trip that you were actually on and it was it was oh yeah old. yeah yeah it was me you and and big thatcher there and that's the first trip i actually remember limiting out on sea bass on the long island sound so i was i think four or five years ago and and it's still been exponentially growing the 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 stock we have on the sound yeah i, I look forward to that that trip we do every year dude the, yeah, the end of summer good. kind of fall yeah yeah good. yeah but uh the dog days of summer but um yeah found them but uh like even this past year it was even better than I ever thought it could be possible. We had some unbelievable sea bass catches this year on the Long Island Sound, but they're still catching them down to the south. I'm not going to say that they've all moved up here because they still have large bodies. It's a massive range. Yeah. yeah, it's a massive range, and I do believe that they're in very, very, very good stock of sea bass, and maybe that's one area where you know maybe recreational fishermen and commercial fishermen would have a little better conversation with scientists to to get a good grasp on it yeah because if something's changing that fast we need the best data possible to react to it right yeah so, I, don't, I don't know if anybody's told any kind of you know anybody any scientists or people involved in it that the sea bass fishing on long island sound has grown you know exponentially for the past 10 years do, do you know of any ways that um because I, I i know you mentioned that other captain and he he puts out he he submits his data, correct, on catch. Is he, there a way that recreational guys like you or or anyone else that's going out there for sea bass could submit their data? Do you do that? There is, and the DEC does have a form that you could fill out. And I'm not exactly sure what the form is. I've seen the form. Uh, I've been in like meetings with a DEC person at the fishing club that I join. He has a DEC person come in every year. And he does push those. I don't know what they're called, what the forms are called. But honestly, yeah, not, like trip yeah. reports, basically, yeah. it's basically probably the same thing as, uh, V, you know, the, the trip reports that yeah. the commercial guys put in, but 
you know, recreational fishermen, I wouldn't honestly trust as much for the reports for various reasons, you know? Yeah. But, but if you do get a community of people that are contributing data, it, it is useful. Um, and yeah. yeah, it's, it's definitely useful. And even though, yeah, sure. Some of it might be a little bit skewed. Um, you know, it's, it's giving us some kind of a picture. It's, it's shining a light in something that's com- completely dark, right? Yeah. So I, I would still probably put more uh, emphasis on the reports done by the commercial guys and the um, recreational guys. Yeah, chi- uh, charitable captains, because they just know what they're doing. You know, they, they hmm. understand where the fish are. You know, they're more in touch with what's going on out there. So you might not get a recreational guy saying, oh, I went to this spot and there was nothing there. There's no sea bass in the sound because very, it's very likely that uh, a person that, you know, maybe not as in touch with fishing as let's say a commercial guy or even I am would go out and they would try something that just has no basis on working. They never have a chance in work. Yeah. And, and then they go out and they put in their report. They didn't catch anything. Yeah. It makes sense. Cause you're fishing, you know, over Sandy bottom for blackfish or, you know, something like that. Yep. The, the one point that I do want to make, though, is when scientists do their um, stock assessments, it's the data is all collected randomly. So um, they they will try and use the fishing methods that do work um, and test in random places so that that's the reason that's part of the scientific method is that they're not going to places that they know the fish are. Right. Because that would inflate the numbers. Yeah. So you have to get kind of a, a randomized sampling of the area that you're going to, right? That, that would be the reason why scientists should get, you know, the thing is a scientist should go with a guy who's interested in, and, you know, teaching the scientists exactly what's going on. Because if a guy wanted to bring, if a fisherman wanted to bring a scientist somewhere and not catch any fish, he'd be a hundred percent able to do that. Or if he wanted to show yeah. Yeah. that maybe the stocks are better than, than they are, he could take them to a spot where he knows it's going to be, loaded you know a certain you yeah. know aspect would would bring them to a spot that's you know just paved with sea bass or blackfish so you know it would have to be a good amount of respect and you know they would have to be able to and collaboration yeah, yeah. collaboration is the right the right word for that yeah definitely no so it, it sounds like the the points we're getting across is you know scientists and fishermen can definitely talk to each other especially around black sea bass yeah. uh I data that, and stock uh, assessments I think they should want to. I know there's there's fishermen out there that, you know, kind of want to push their own agenda of killing uh, a little more fish than they should. And then there's also scientists out there that are pushing the agenda. Maybe we shouldn't be killing any fish, you know, or very yeah. little fish. The meeting in the middle, yeah, yeah. It would you need to have nice. somebody with you know level headed on both sides of the aisle. Yeah, definitely. And that's, I mean, that's what we're doing here, right? We're, we're chatting. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is what we're chatting you, about. We're bringing it to the, to the table. We're a good start because, you know, I, I personally, I see it from both sides being in the industry, you know, for money and also in the industry for fun. And you, you see it both ways as well from, you know, your lifetime of fishing experience yeah. and, and also being in it on the other side, on the scientist. In the side. conservation end. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, so exactly, dude. And so I want I want to pivot here to another to talk about another species. We've been talking a lot about black sea bass. I want to chat a little bit about striped bass. This is another uh, massively popular uh, recreational fish. Would, you know this. Yeah, this I would is say all over most the place. popular, most popular, Easily. Uh, probably north of Maryland, even Virginia, up up to where you are in New Hampshire. There, 
they're even moving more north now as even with the sea bass, you know, we're getting more reports of them going up even to uh to Maine and Northard. Oh yeah, that's what I fish for from sure. Uh for, for, for sure. For sure. From, from, from sure. shore when I'm uh when I'm up here uh up, up in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. But so just for context, the regulations around striped bass uh recreationally have changed. So this year, right? I think they went into effect yesterday. Uh, they have this changed. Very relevant. Yeah, very relevant. They changed it from, I think, one fish over 28 to now coastwide, it's one fish between 28 and 35. So you have to leave the larger fish alone, you know, let them go, yep. let them repopulate because the larger the fish, the larger the striped bass are, the more eggs they produce. And yep. uh, those larger fish are mostly females as well. Yep. In, in science, we call that fecundity. So the, the, the highly fecund fish are the larger fish and they'll, they'll release more eggs, right? The females. And also and, um, they have better, they have better horm. I mean, they have better DNA because if they got that big and they were able to get that big and make it through life, you know, they, they're passing on better DNA for the, the future fish. Survival of the fi- yes, fittest. A hundred percent. But, um, so so you want to explain the slot limit a little bit to any any listeners that might not understand what that means? It, so, it just means that, yeah. Yeah, so the, the reason that they're putting in the slot limit is to, to take some pressure off those bigger fish and have people who catch those bigger fish let them go, to let them go, you know, reproduce and have more babies. Yep. And that slot right there, you know, will make it, I guess they, they do the science on it and they, they figure that's the best way to grow the population. Of striped yep. bass, yeah, and and so also I saw that there's two other regulations I think that they they definitely have up here, but um, I believe that they've added down in New York is that you have to use if you're fishing with bait circle hooks instead of the J hooks, and um and that you also can't gaff any fish. Yeah, I've I heard about the gaffing, and I believe the circle hooks goes into effect next year. And 2021 is something I saw I think yesterday when I was when I was reading about it. Um. Which is interesting. They work very well, and they do what they're supposed to do as long as you know how to fish them. And I have yeah. no problem using circle hooks. You know, it's, it takes there's one little aspect of hooking the fish that's a little less fun. But yeah, is it is it tougher? Like, um, yeah, get, what's, I, what's your get, what's your review of of circle? Hooks? I would say it's easier actually, as long as you hook the bait correctly and you perform the technique correctly, you should have a better rate of hooking up on fish. But the thing is, when you when you use a J hook, you set the hook. So you, you, you know, basically lift the rod or jerk the rod in an aggressive fashion to set the, the J hook into the fish's mouth as where a circle hook just kind of, you lock the reel up and it, it rides out the fish's gut into the suck corner of the mouth, which is, you know, obviously the better choice for releasing fish because yeah. a J hook also, when they, swallow it it's not going to come out their gut it's just going to get stuck in there and that's what causes fish to uh to die yeah yeah you see it all the time yeah, yeah. it what do you call it gutting them basically like yeah, gut hooking that's that's what yeah. happens with jays. and it still happens every once in a while with circle hooks if the fish if you let them eat it way too much you know they'll still gut hook the they'll the circle hook will still gut hook but it it definitely <laughs> uh drops the percentages way down on gut hooking but yeah, uh, if you're one of those guys bass, who fall, it, falls asleep <laughs> Just let them sit on it for about a half an hour. Then, then they'll definitely end up gut hooking <laughs> the fish because they'll have it digested yeah. by then anyway. 
But uh, it's interesting <laughs> yeah, right. with, with Stripe Bass, I could kind of, you know, go into something that I've seen, which kind of doesn't follow with what certain, you know, what the scientists are saying and what certain people, maybe shore fishermen as yourself, are seeing. And I think that Stripe Bass are changing their, their habits. Yeah, you, were, you mentioned that. Yeah, so the reason I'm saying this is back in, you know, back in the good old days when I was a youngster, we used to go stripe bassing one certain way, and it used to be very productive, close to shore with bunker chunks, and you basically, you know, always had fish to catch, and, you know, it was, that's maybe why shore fishermen had better ratios, but recently I've been seeing, especially in the sound, is that the fish are definitely not coming inshore, close to the shore, nearly as much as they are staying out in the middle just swimming deep. Now, like how, how deep of waters are you talking? So I'm talking about like the middle of Long Island Sound out by Cold Spring Harbor. There's basically only 70 foot, but you can see the fish are down there. So this is another thing with, you know, technology and fishing is depth finders. And yep. this year I just got a brand new depth finder and I was out there looking. And, you know, I know what striped bass look like on the screen. It's pretty common knowledge. You could see them what's going on. And they're just not eating the same way that they used to eat. In my experience for the last couple of years, they've changed their ways and they look like they're, they're more transient in our area and a lot less, a lot more people are catching a lot less fish and are very worried about the stocks. But from what I'm seeing is those fish are staying deep in the middle of the sound. I don't know if it has something to do with pollution or water temperature change. Yeah. But yeah, they, it could be a number of things. This is where it goes back to when I was saying that recreational fishermen might not be the best people to get data from is because it seems that chartable fishermen, you know, the people that do it for a living have figured out that the best way to catch them right now or, or recently is these, um, these new lures called mojos, which you troll these mojos and you could troll them throughout the water column and they, they're still just catching a ton of striped bass on Long okay. Town when, you know, my tried and true tested of bunker chunking is not working as well, nearly as well as it used to. Yeah. So that's, that's, in, that's interesting. So, yeah. yeah. So it, it must be good mojo. Yeah. The, <laughs> the mojo is definitely good with the mojos and uh, they work very well. But one of the, the biggest groups of people that are fighting for, you know, striped bass, um, the slot limit, and also even just catch and release if possible is surf fishermen because they're not seeing as much striped bass as they have seen, you know, in the past. And it kind of makes sense to me because I haven't seen them close to shore, but I've definitely seen more of them in the middle of the sound, which is just, you know, a small, small sample size. I can't say I know everything yeah. about striped bass, especially since I'm not, you know, full on striped bass fisherman as much as I am a bo bottom fisherman. But yeah, I, I spent a good amount of time targeting them this year and I definitely had to work away from old techniques and learn some new stuff. And the new stuff definitely produces like those mojos, trolling them in the middle of the sound is working and the chunk sitting on the bottom the you know the thing that's worked for my entire yeah. life did not it didn't work at all last year I, i'm i was very surprised the american shoreline podcast network and coastalnewstoday.com are brought to you by lja engineering with 28 offices along the gulf coast the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own 
Peter Ravella. Check them out at lja.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical firsthand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at coastaltransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the dunesciencegroup.com. That's pretty interesting. That, yeah. You know, just, yeah, just the way that, the way that fish, the way that they, they feed their behavior and it seems like their ecology, just the way that they live in the ecosystem is changing over the years. And it's crazy that, you know, you fishermen can actually see that from just the devices that you guys use. You know what I mean? The depth, uh, not depth finders, fish finders. Yeah, you know, it, how, how do you, you can just look at the shapes that are on there. I mean, I've been there when, when you do it. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what I'm looking at, but you do it every day. So, so the new machine that I bought is, you know, a brand new Simrad. It's top of the line last year. And I've always been able to see the striped bass on, on, you know, structure. They're usually swimming above some kind of structure and, uh, they're swimming middle of the water column down to the bottom. You know, sometimes you see them right on the bottom, but, uh, this, this new technology makes you be able to see, you know, at some points last year, I have a picture on my phone where there was like 40 striped bass pretty much on my machine at one time. Yeah. And, and while these fish were on my machine, it was while I was trunking, doing a tried and true tested, you know, form of fishing. And I could see all these fish and I know they're striped bass, 100% sure, not a single bite the entire time. Yeah, I was going to say you didn't catch nothing. Not did a you? single bite. But I, it's crazy because you're watching them basically on this, this TV. You're seeing them there and you know they're there. So, you know, we picked up, threw the mojos yeah, in. Like, what am I doing wrong? Well, we, I knew what I was doing wrong. I knew what I could do to, you know, try to get them. I personally don't like trolling. I, I just rather not catch them that way. I'd rather catch them with live bait, yeah. which is another thing that was working this year that I never really had to do. But I threw in the, so when I saw that picture on my machine, you know, I obviously was kind of perturbed, decided let's throw the mojos <laughs> in. We had them. Trolled one time, bingo, got, got a couple fish, you know, we're done with the day already. You know, you're only allowed one straight bass a person, so one pass and you know yeah. and i was that's something that i really was shocked almost that 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 i had to throw out the mojos which maybe for some reason they're just thrown out of bunker chunks in in the western long island sound yeah that's pretty that's pretty interesting yeah so um that's just my yeah. point of view on them yeah yeah definitely and so i i got a, i got another question for you here this is this is also related to to wreck fishing um i'm curious so when it comes to like surfing right it's very seasonal with who participates, you know, uh, in the summer, you get all of the so-called kooks oh, yeah. that come out, right. Who don't go all the, they, they're, they're newer surfers. They're, they don't come out all winter. Um, you know, they're seasonal. Right. Uh-huh. And, and so I'm, I'm curious, is fishing the same way on long Island? Like what's the community like down there? Is, yeah. is there, a, yeah. You know, I would have to say that there's probably a hundred more 
a hundred times more kooks on the water than there is even on the <laughs> beach. Even the ones that you have to dodge around as you're going down waves, you know, that don't know what they're doing. There's so many more boaters out there that have no idea how to catch a, uh, any kind of fish. They think that just putting their line on the water is going to pr- result in, you know, success. And it just, it's kind of, it's kind of funny to watch. And it's, you know, there's a lot of them out there. Like what you're. Do, do they follow the regulations? Like, do, do you think your average boater kook like um understands how how many fish they can keep how big the fish needs to be or do you think that they're just you know out there lawless i think that um it's a pretty steady curve that the more you know about fishing is the more fish you catch and also that means the more you know about fishing the better you know the regulations so people that go out there that have no idea about the regulations i'm pretty confident that they're not going to run into a situation where they catch more than they're supposed to. Maybe they might kill a short fish that they didn't know they were supposed to kill, but I am very confident that they're not going to go find their, you know, uh, an ab- abundance of any kind of fish, no matter which one it is. Yeah. And so then, I mean, also, would you say then, is there like a tight knit community around guys who just like go every winter all the time? I mean, I talk to you, I talk to Thatcher, um, Nico, all those, all the guys you fish with. It's, it's a pretty tight knit community, you know? Yeah. Um, the, the more hardcore you get, the more tight knit the community gets. So I'm sure it's the same way with surfing, you know, the guys that are like you that are out there with, with snow on their beard, uh, as they're <laughs> going through, you know, you, you know, catching some, some nice little, uh, waves there that, you know, the guys that you see out there are definitely more knowledgeable surfers. You know, there's no kooks out there in the middle of the winter. Yeah, it's tight. It's definitely more tight knit. Meanwhile, you go to the beach, you know, you go to Long Beach in the middle of August and you're just going to be running into body borders and, and, you know, surfers that have no idea how to even get through a wave. Yeah. No, definitely. So, and, um, I was out there, yeah, I was out there, you know, this, this Saturday and, you know, I was out there trying to catch some cod close to shore and there's not a single boat out there. But I'm, I assure you that when we go out there, you know, in, in August, there's going to be a thousand boats out there with maybe, you know, 10% of them know what they're doing. Maybe not even. Yeah. And, but so then, then I do have one other, this just made me think of another question. Um, so in the news every now and then you'll see like the, the DEC, the environment environmental conservation or some kind of environmental law officers get, you know, nabbing some recreational fisher for keeping like too many stripers or you know like way too many stripers i've seen this in the news a couple times um who do you think those guys are you know are they are they your average joe fisher like are they someone like you or is that is it just a different breed of person you know well there's you know there's certain certain things i've seen in some news you know some the massachusetts dc has put up they put up when they do a big bust and they'll put it up online and it makes a circulation on facebook and you see you know, certain people, there's uh, there's money to be made with fish illegally and also legally, but really illegally, it's a pretty easy way if you know what you're, you know, if you have a connect to make a quick dollar. So these people do understand how to catch fish. They know what they're doing and, you know, they might want an extra dollar or two. So they kind of, you know, fudge the rules and they'll just, yeah. you know, I'm not saying that that every single recreational fisherman doesn't know what they're doing. Cause these guys definitely know what they're doing. They understand what they're doing, but they, uh, they don't really care. They, they kind of just want a couple extra dollars in their pocket. 
So hopefully, yeah. uh, well, hopefully. Some, something that I've seen is like anytime that those photos get shared around any of the popular fish, uh, fishing groups on Facebook, you know, all the recreational guys are super pissed off. There's, you know, I've, oh, I've yeah. seen a lot of, ne- a lot of negative words thrown around on oh, those. Oh yeah. A lot yeah. of, you know, there, there's some, there's also some, uh, spots, you know, on shore that, that fishermen are able to kill even more because they could kind of just go right back to their car. And, yeah. uh, that, that's like striped bass under bridges in the summertime. There's a lot of small fish, but you're not going to get a keeper size fish, but there's a lot of smaller fish there. So you could, you can make some, you know, some money or you can make a lot of food, you know, in, in a couple of short minutes, just doing something illegal, which is horrible. Yeah. You, know, you really shouldn't be killing short bass like that or, or any extra you, amount of fish. Do you think that the DEC, um, checks enough people? Like, have you, have you ever gotten pulled over and like someone's actually checked your, your fish or, you know, um, do you- on the North shore of Long Island, I've actually only been checked one time on the New York side at a Coast Spring Harbor in 25 years, well, 23, 24 years of fishing now, which is kind of disappointing, but I, I've also had some good conversations with them. They gave me their card. They, they want us to call them if we see anything, you know, bad going on. But, you know, that's another way that somebody not inside the fishing community could could communicate a little bit better with maybe fishermen because we see it going on. We know exactly where they should go and who they should target, honestly, to, to find these people. So I've never called myself, but I've thought about it and I, I've definitely wanted to on certain occasions. So yeah, they need a little better guidance. You know, if they should maybe they should do a better job reaching out to fishermen Maybe they yeah, have get, getting some community engagement in, in their enforcement. That actually makes a lot of sense. I'm pretty sure that they only have like 20 guys on Long Island, the DEC. The last time I spoke to him was a couple years ago, but I was speaking to, uh, to, to a guy at a fishing show or, or somewhere else. And he was saying there's only 20 guys that are assigned to Long Island and like five of them are out in Montauk. So it's very unlikely to run into one here on, you know, on the water. Which is unfortunate, yeah. yeah. But another thing would be great if they just talk to the fishermen because most fishermen could point you in the, the the good fishermen will point you right in the direction of the people that you have to, to check. Yeah, definitely. Um, no, those that's really good insight, dude. Honestly, and um, I was going to ask you: is there is there are there any other like topics around fishing regulations that you wanted to touch on? Um, Oh, there's, you know, I could go on forever with, uh, different, <laughs> you know, there's obviously there's blackfish, which are my, my old bread and favorite. butter. Yeah. They're my favorite fish to target, favorite fish to catch, even though cod are moving up as you know, I'm trying to get more into targeting them and I'm going to start moving offshore a little more this year with tuna and stuff. But, uh, one thing I'd love to get out there on the airways is, is the issue we have with potting blackfish back in the Western Long Island Sound. So potting, like like catching them in traps? Yes, setting out a trap. And the thing is, blackfish are they're very structure-oriented fish. So they will literally go into traps that are not even baited because they're just a good place to hide. They, they look for trying to hide from predators, end up going into a trap, and they'll pack in there because, you know, they just – that's what they do in, in the wild. And then it's just easy money. And the problem is a lot of people are doing it illegally in the west yeah. of Long Island Sound. It's a it's I don't know if you know, but the the live blackfish market is probably the most lucrative market for fish around Long Island right now. 
that's where the most money to be made is, is illegally selling blackfish. You can make some serious money doing something illegal, you know, in a rather short period of time. And, uh, where do they sell those to? Um, Chinatown basically, you know, the, connects in, in live, that, live fish markets yeah live, mostly like in that chinatown area in, in queens and you know flushing kind of area you'll go if you ever go down there and you look for a fish market you'll see live blackfish swimming around unfortunately they're they're extremely tasty that's the problem so yeah. uh the Good thing is fish. i've yeah. seen you know i've come in contact with these pots and i've also seen the decline of western sound black fishing you know as i've seen the 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 boom in sea bass fishing, blackfish has gone pretty much the opposite direction. Uh, you know, during my time fishing the Long Island Sound, you know, the last twenty years, you know, we used to be able to to target them, catch them much easier. I didn't I, personally. We didn't like my family didn't know nearly as much as we know now on the fishing front because you're always learning. And we used to do you know very well, not knowing much. And now I look back at those days and I can't believe the amount of fish we caught on the spots where we caught them. And it has yeah. to do with, you know, I've seen, I've ran into those traps personally. One time I was diving with one of our friends, Anthony, and we came upon a unmarked trap with 30 plus blackfish in there. And, you know, 30, and, 30 fish in one trap. Yep. 30 fish. There was, and you know, the funniest part about it is, uh, we let them out. We, we let them out because it was unmarked, you know, I probably shouldn't be saying yeah. it online, but whatever. <laughs> we let them out. We didn't like what we saw. And you literally, there was like a couple, the last couple of fish did not want to leave because they're, they think that's their home now. Like their structure, like, yeah. Yeah, their structure, they're safe. They think they're safe from, you know, striped bass eating them or bluefish eating them. Meanwhile, they don't know that they're just, you know, sealed their own fate. And we were yeah. like coaxing them out of there and they would just swim right back in. You're like, come on, dude. Like, yeah, yeah. We we're trying to help you. Out. We're trying to help you out here. But in let that, me help you. So that, that one area where we fell upon the, that thing, I've also caught blind traps on my uh, on my anchor and and okay. it's it said because that's a beautiful there's beautiful bottom in that entire area just really good solid blackfish bottom where they should be a really good population of blackfish and i literally will not go there to go blackfishing unless it's blowing 30 miles per hour out of the south because there's no there's no reason to go there you're not going to have a good day and yep. it's it's sad because it really should be much better fishing where in that area due to the amount of structure and and other you know just it's a good spot to go black fishing or it should be and it and it's not which is basically due to those those people making a little extra money on the side and potting the black yep, the live fish trade yeah that's which, pretty crazy I didn't I didn't know about that and I'm sure that that's probably news to a lot of our listeners honestly yeah. Um, I'm is sure that, is it, it common is. knowledge in your in in the fishing community on Long Island? It's definitely not common common knowledge at all. Probably most people don't even know about it. There's certain people that do know about it. I've also spoken to the DEC. I have no idea about it. I've I've brought it up to the DEC multiple times, trying to you know see if they could do something about it. But it's hard for them to do it about it because the guys are smart. I'm not gonna lie. They're they're smart fishermen. They know what they're doing. They know how to hide what they're doing. So it'd be hard to catch them on that front, but maybe just cut off the live fish market, the illegal live fish market. Because I would yeah. like to see the legal one. I would like to see fishermen that are doing it legally be able to make the money, but the illegal ones, you know, not really yeah, not it, the right way to do it. I mean, it's a, it's a massive problem in fisheries as a whole is traceability. Yeah. Uh, fish, fish, I believe, are the third most illegally traded item on the planet behind, I think it's 
uh, guns and drugs, yeah, I'm pretty that, sure. That's what I would expect. I yeah. think this year they're doing tags with Blackfish, which is good. For that is the, solid. The legal guys, will, you know, it's actually going to make it harder on the legal guys to sell their fish, but, you know, legally it's going to do good, but it's not, I don't think it's going to cut down in the, the illegal trade that's going on. And the biggest problem yeah. with it is that blackfish are the slowest growing fish in our waters. So yeah. all the damage being done takes much longer to, 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 to know, undo. Yeah, yeah. To undo, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a really good point though. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that we're able to, you know, hopefully our listeners pick up on that. And that's something that, someone can do a study about or even just start to bring up onto the table you know yeah i would love to see it i would love to see someone yeah. you know some somehow get out out into the fishing community yeah that's that's a good point but um yeah rocco i think i got i got one more question for you here because i want to end on on a high note um you know real positive t- talking about some dark stuff like illegal fishing yeah. and and all that yeah. um so coronavirus i'll bring up the the word uh, everyone's New York, you're in New York, New York's been hit real hard with this. Um, you know, everyone's, everyone's trying to stay safe and healthy down there. Um, you know, hope, hope you and the family and everyone are, uh, you know, going to be good down there, but you said you've been, you've still been fishing. You've been able, you know, they've closed beaches up where I'm at up here. And I know a lot of other places in the U S have closed beaches. Um, but you said you've still been able to get out on the water and fish and keep your distance from other people. Um, is, has that been keeping you sane? Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing it again this week. You know, Blackfish opened yesterday, so I'm looking Sunday, the weather's looking pretty good, looking to get out there. So we actually had a, a scare last week. We were talking about going fishing and somebody told us that the inlet was closed because of what's going on. So obviously, you know, we had to find the bottom of, you know, get to the bottom of it. We ended up calling Jones beach coast guard station and getting to the bottom of it. And he said, the only way they would do that is if there's a complete shelter in place. But yeah, I got I gotta go fishing. I can't I can't, you know, not go fishing. That's another yeah. thing, you know, with the hardcore fishermen, you gotta you gotta go fishing, no matter how cold, how wind, you know, how rainy. Yeah. It, it it's a it's a source of peace and you know, it, it just makes you feel good getting out on the water. It doesn't matter if that's why I go all the time. I, I, I never catch anything, but I still go. Yeah. You know, it just it it makes you feel good. It's it's getting outdoors, it's getting some vitamin C, you know, um, spend time outside. Definitely not all about the catching, you know, it's, it's about being out there and, and being on the water, watching the sun come up, watching the sun go down, you know, yeah, but the, where, yeah, where, where have you been getting your bait? Because uh, that's, that's something that, uh, all the bait shops are closed up here. I honestly, I, I have some connections, you know, personally with people in the industry, which is, you know, another good part of being part of the industry where I don't have that issue, but I'm not actually sure if bait shops, I haven't had to go to the bait shop yet. I'm actually secured on bait for this weekend already, <laughs> but uh, I'm not well, sure. Good, good for you. Good for I, you. I don't know if bait shops are open by us right now, but you, you mentioned um, what can people like you, when you fish for, you said blackfish season just opened, right? Yep. Blackfish and just opened yesterday. So you, you were mentioning um, you going out, uh, and getting some green crabs or Asian shore crabs, something like that, that the blackfish like. You can just, uh, I looked it up, the regulations, you can take as many as you want because they're invasive species. Definitely. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm not going to be doing that personally, but if if you're on a beach, you know, the North Shore has a little bit more Asian crabs. You could go down, you know, flip a couple rocks safely. Don't hurt yourself. 
you know, they get, it gets very slippery down once you get under the tide line, you know, on the, on the yeah. rocks down there. You flip the a couple moss. rocks. Up by you, you guys probably have a lot more green crabs than we have down here, which is my, I'd rather catch green crabs than Asian crabs. I don't like using Asian crabs personally, but a lot of people do. But yeah, that's definitely a possibility. You know, hopefully these, these bait shops will be opening up soon. Hopefully this, yeah. this whole coronavirus will get over with, you know, hopefully we get through it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every, hopefully every, everyone you know, sticks by the regulations, uh, keeps their social distancing and, yeah. and all that. Stay um, I mean, I, ha I haven't been surfing. Um, well, last week, at least, we haven't really had swell. But um, I, I'm, I'm, you know, not going anywhere near crowds. I've been staying at home, working from home. Um, yeah, hopefully we get, you know, we're all strong. We'll get through this for oh, sure. Yeah. And oh, yeah. there'll, be there'll be plenty of fish to catch afterwards. Yeah. You know, we'll come out, come out stronger come out swinging for sure that is 100 percent correct come out swinging for the fences oh yep. yeah no so um i guess I, i'd like to end on that note you know a little positive um positive vibes thrown out there we'll get you know get back out there things will go back to normal soon um rocco thanks so much for being on the show and and giving us just a, a little peek into your perspective on uh on recreational fishing and and the conservation of the fish in new york's waters Thanks for having me, brother. Any anytime you uh, anytime you want to have me back, I could always just keep on talking about fishing. You know that. Oh yeah, I'll, de I'll definitely. You know, I I wanted to keep it below an hour, but I know we could keep on going on forever. I think um, I think we could have made it like seven hours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we we got to get out on uh, your boat soon. I think it's in my parents' backyard on the dock. It is. Um, it is. Yeah, I'm actually yeah. gonna go down there and check on it right now. Just uh, start her up and and with my new uh simrad machine actually nice nice well rocco we'll get we'll get on the water soon um stay well hope your family's staying safe and healthy and uh yeah i'll talk to you soon nice talk to you man